Lord in the sky. It's an odd question to start with, isn't it? But it's the central question that arises out of the second half of Hebrews chapter 11. See, one of the struggles that Christians of every era have faced, what we face, what those in the future and for Christ to come will face, is to tone down our faith, to, to sand off the, the rough edges that don't fit so well in our communities, our societies, our homes. It's to act as if being a Christian is well, more like joining a club, gaining a membership. You know, Amazon Prime, join or quit as you will, requires nothing of you other than a credit card. not what Christianity is. That's not what we see in the, in the scriptures. This is why we speak here at First BC of how, for example, baptism is vitally important, but it's not simply our way of purchasing the reservation for Christ's coming. That's why we, we talk about how church membership is a, a faithful, dare I say, even even necessary step for growth. And yet, I'll be the first to tell you that the membership role at First Evangelical Free Church is not the definitive list of who's in and who's out when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. To follow Christ is to be his servant. It's to take on his teaching as your personal rule of life, your own and our own patterns of behavior, of speech, of belief. The world talks a lot about identity. And by that, in ways, good and bad, they mean your identity is something that drives you, that motivates you, that, that changes everything you think, say, and do. And in that sense, our identity is affected by our identity is uncertain it's not just an add-on it's not an accessory everything is affected by it and so baptism and membership and many other things are wonderful they are good they are scriptural they are faith-filled responses to christ's teaching and they are that as indicators belief in and of themselves. They are responses to what Christ has done. They are how we show, how we display, how we embrace our identity as Christians. Belief, trust, hope. Now these are the things that walking by faith consists of. And this side of heaven, if we take seriously the call to walk by faith and not by sight, we're going to find two elements that are straightforward. One is that it's hard. It's not always easy by any means. There could be everything from, from persecution on the one hand to our own insecurities and struggles and sins on the other. That walking by faith is not something that's automatic or easy. That's what makes this second element so important. 
Even in Christ, as he goes to the cross for the joy set before him, the scriptures tell us. The same Lord tells us about our joy being complete in him. Joy is all over this passage. So we have this finished task of walking by faith, even though it's not easy, and yet doing it such a way that we will have the joy of heaven. Well, it's hard because this is a call to live differently from your neighbors. It's a call to have a set of values that radically crashes with the world around us. And as much as we here in America, we we trumpet individualism, this pastoralistic kind of all individual Well, remember in high school when I decided I wanted to be a skateboarder. You can tell how well that worked out. But right, I bought the clothes, the baggy jeans. I wore a belt though, none of the falling off stuff. You know, the cool t-shirts. Right? That's that's what I did because you know, skateboarders are they're different. They don't go along with the crowd, and so we all look different together, and it was great. We felt so independent. That lasted about 30 days and gave us like a, right? This is the reality is as much as we say that we thrive individuality, there really is pressure when you don't conform, isn't there? Especially in the ways that you don't conform are centered around your beliefs in Christ. We are called to value a king whom we're never going to elect to care more about people than money. So look toward his kingdom rather than the kingdoms we can build. And all of that corrupts our world in one way or another. Christ's call is radical. It's hard. But it's also joyful. It's a joy-filled life because it's jam-packed with the certainty and hope that we have of forgiveness all the way through to eternal life with our Savior in the place of no tears, crying, death, or pain. It's joy-filled because of the certain knowledge that if you are in Christ, you are known, you are loved, you are cared for by the Creator Himself. As forgotten as you may feel and be in this world, that this world has, whether, whether life goes well or otherwise, this world is not your home, but instead your true and eternal home is the place where you face even now the presence and the fear of God. So what does it look like to have a faith that bears these twin marks, these twin realities of hardship and joy. Well, as we mentioned last week, if you were with us, sometimes it's easier uh, to see examples of something rather than always to describe them. So I want to continue by looking once more, this time to the second half, the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 
chapter 11, starting at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his son. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites directions to bring them by faith Moses when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of any evil by faith Moses when he was grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God and to enjoy the fleeting pleasure he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. He was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. He was the destroyer of the firstborn. we re-enter this chapter, the first uh, grouping that we see, the first portrait snapshot, Polaroid, for the people who are old enough, that we see is faith across time. We ended by talking about Abraham and Sarah last week, so how appropriate that we would continue this story now. Do you remember the promises that God made to those promises when the only descendant, the chosen descendant, when Isaac is going to be sacrificed. That's kind of a problem, isn't it? You can't have a people if the family line ends. So how will Abraham do then? Will he, will he trust God? scriptures, we have the answer, and it's that Abraham believed all that God had said. That the Lord gave both these truths. One, that there would be a blessing through Isaac, and two, that Isaac needed to be laid on the altar for sacrifice. Both are true. Both are commanded and given to God. And as the amazing story goes on to tell us, God stops Abraham at the, at the last second, sparing Isaac and showing Abraham's genuine faith through a leader. Yes, 
how could Ariba have this kind of faith? What does that mean for you this morning? Perhaps the church is here. See, Abraham believed something of an angel about God. He believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. that's because we live on this side of Christ's resurrection. We know it's possible. We know it has happened. But faith is a and this is far more radical than we think. There had not been a birth of Christ at that point. There had not been a death and resurrection either. Nobody had ever come back from the dead. And yet so great was Abraham's faith that he believed God could and would do the impossible. And so much did Abraham believe this that he was willing to act on what God called him to do. Even when he could not see, he could not reason, he could not rationally come up with any way that this was going to turn out. God raised his own Notice that faith is not easy. In fact, it is quite costly. It is difficult. It is hard. And yet, God never lets us be prepared. You can search the scriptures. You will not find any instance of God saying something and then going back on his word. You will not find even any hint of God making a promise and then, well, you didn't read the fine print. I'm really not going to keep that. God works in ways that are so different from our world that it is crazy to think about. You would trust him. You would believe in faithfulness then flows from one generation to another. It's seen through how Isaac believed God's promises. He passes them down to his sons and Jacob to his. I mean, think about this for a second. Generations are waiting for these promises to be fulfilled. Are you that person? Packages are supposed to be coming, and our wonderful postal service is not quite as good as daily is. Oh, Monday, is it coming? Oh, wait, it's going to be late. Oh, it's a day late. The world's going to end. Right? Kids are Faithfulness calls us to a faithfulness that transcends even what we know quite possibly perhaps what we down from one generation to the next. Isaac, Jacob, Jesus, and Joseph. Then, as we heard in a sermon not too many months ago, he called on his descendants to bury him not in Egypt, not the land that he had known far longer than any other, not the land where God's people would end up living for centuries. No. Joseph 
Joseph believed that God's promises would come true, even though they appeared to be the furthest thing from reality. And what's amazing is that this line of faith continues. It's no different when you when you come to Moses, who adopted the same kind of trust as his parents, so much so that he refused. Get this, he refused to be identified with the royal family of talk about being an influencer. Moses had it. This was his chance. He could have, you know, what would we say today? Might he could use his power to, to right the wrong. There could have been justice. But he turned his back. Yet he turns his back on the position he could have had in the royal family of Egypt and said, choosing to be connected with whom? Slaves. we find Moses trusting God's promises even though it dearly and deeply and directly cost him to do so. Even though he would lose every worldly step. And all of that because Moses counted what God offered in eternity as worth infinitely more than anything the court could offer. gratification society, this seems almost mythological, doesn't it? I'm sort of thing that would make a, a great fiction book or a, or a you know, dramatic movie. I mean, it's crazy. This isn't just a fairy tale. Why would Moses do it? Well, we read that it was because he considered the trustworthiness of the Lord following Christ, of being his disciples, as worth more than the treasure houses of Egypt. See, Moses had his eyes fixed on eternity rather than the here and the now. He had faith not in himself, not in Egypt, not in his own power or power that he could access, not in the potential rewards of this world, no, but in the rewards of the one true God. forward with hope toward the one who would end up being called the Messiah. Moses walked by faith and not by sight. Like us in Christ. So let's pause there as we remember that truth. And that brings up a challenge for you and for me. What is following Jesus Faith is costly, as we've just seen. What price are you paying? Is it a pledge? A vow? Look back at these centuries and, and, and see if they're worth it. What am I doing? What price am I paying? Now, I'm not saying that you need to have a martyr's complex. Rather, I'm saying that following Jesus has a cost built into it. If you're 
following, you are paying that cost on, on some level. And if you're not paying that cost, you need to ask yourself why. Perhaps you genuinely do trust God. And in his mercy and grace, he is giving you this easy peace of, of respite. And if so, I don't want you to leave today feeling guilty anymore. Nothing to be ashamed of. No, instead rejoice. That's really what's happening. Praise God. Worship. Give thanks. Because the Lord knows what you need. And if you're in a season of, of peace right now, He knows you need it. Thank Him for it. Let that be your joy. Earthly and worldly. On the other hand, if following Christ costs you nothing because John Scripture says you're compromising with the world, maybe because no one would actually know you're a Christian by how you speak, how you act, then the challenge for you is to serve. Bible calls that to be peace. Serve in lawful ways. Take Christ and his riches over the people and things and acceptance and the, the life of this world. Serve in lawful and peace. Let Moses, like Moses, God guide your actions. Walk with the Lord throughout this life through, through thick and thin across the long haul. I've heard it once said that this life we live is so many want to act like it's crown time, like, like this is all there is and it's time to just live it up and then we can cross crown time to heaven. And yet it works. And it happens. And here and now we are called to a costly obedience that rewards the first churches of faith as well. our second, faith under trial. You find it starting in verse 21. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Because she had given tender reverence to God. By faith. Talking about what we are walking with in Christ. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, uh, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, 
afflicted with fruit when the world does not love you. Wandering about in deserts and mountains, Here we find that faith will be tested. It's not easy, nor is it automatic. Faith isn't just a nice slogan. It's not just something to put on a bumper sticker or send in a graphic or a Carvana. No, faith will be put to the test. It will be tried. Will we see if such people in Egypt are mistaken for Moses? Will they work to receive the promised land? Will we see it even in foreign prostitutes who learn how to dress easy by seeing and embracing the advantage of Egypt. But it doesn't end there. We see the same kind of tested faith in the judges, none of whom were perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We saw it in King David through all of his faults. We saw it in Samuel, God's prophet, who taught the people what the kingship should really look like differently it should look instead. We read of all the ways that walking by faith resulted in lives that were changed, that were transformed by the Lord. And in all of this, we saw as his people that the sinful world exacts a cost of faith. So when the scriptures tell you the devil and that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. That's not just a metaphor. That's not just exaggeration. There is a spiritual battle being waged all around us every day and in the scriptures. We are not in peacetime. We are in a time of needing spiritual armor in a day where our king must distinguish So will you count the cost? Will you trade a a sort of easy believism, sort of cultural Christianity, more about our our heritage than about Christ? Will you trade that for your freedom? Will you trust Jesus when he says that the, the narrow path is the right path? And that the wide road leads to destruction. Will you call on him to hold you fast and strengthen you? so that your sins this world will remember and forget. This is what Jesus calls his people to. This is where joy is found. It's found not in stuff, not in fear, but in Christ. Faith across time, a tested faith. Let us close with faith that looks And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, it could not be made perfect.
verses 13 to 16 last week. So here we see that faith looks forward to the promise being fulfilled rather than just to the here and now, rather than just monitoring our lives this second, this moment to the next. And how, how, are, we doing, how are we doing better or, or maybe not? Instead, this forward-looking faith gives us a rock-solid goal, right? Even in messy you to notice something crucial here. The author of Hebrews, speaking of these folks who lived and died long ago, sees their faith as pointing to something better. Something that you and I now enjoy. Something that, that together we shall enjoy in heaven. And that is very object of our faith. That is why God loves us. That is why we, we celebrate and we talk of joy. It's because this promised one, this one who makes faith real and worth it and makes it matter and not just be a martyrdom or a sacrifice without meaning, this one has come. Our faith is not in vain. And it will never be might say so. And instead, our faith has been and shall be fulfilled. Look to Christ. That's what this chapter is crying out for us. Look to Christ. Embrace His love that He would live and die for you, taking your place, fulfilling the debt of your sins against the Lord, giving you life to all who follow Him. And so count the cost of following Him. Ask the Lord to give you a, a, a bigger, a better, a, a deeper and wider picture. The sort of trust that will keep your eyes focused on your Savior. And here's how you do it. First, God must be first. You want to highlight joy in your life? Ask Him to be first. I know it's supposed to be some sort of rocket science, secret guru thing. Lord ascending into heaven, promising and preparing a place, and it will be there when He returns. Second, find another. You don't have to say you have one. That would be a silly thing. It would be remarkable. Third factor, heaven. Heavenly Father, There can be peace, honor, and goodwill toward us. And that can come from you. Not because we deserve it or earn it. That can certainly say otherwise. 
but that you, the God whom we need, the one whom we have most depended on, would reach to us in definition so Lord would you make us a joy filled people we want to be joy filled followers of your son our savior would you help us to see him and ourselves rightly would you remind us of what has been promised to us in, in the ups and downs of life and journey Would you teach us what it means to be faithful, yes, moment to moment, but also over the long haul? Thank you that your promises never change. They never fail. They never forget. And so we thank you for Jesus. Messiah, Giver, Savior.